0: Hey guys, this is Ruben Langdon, a.k.a. Dante from Devil May Cry, a.k.a. Ken Masters from Street Fighter, and also Chris Redfield from the Resident Evil series. And you are listening to the Casanova Podcast, the number one podcast in Hawaii.
1: Jackpot. Yeah, I fly and I soar, but I aspire for more. Just some time so I can show you how this lion can roar. Sound the sirens, let them know I'm standing right at the door. I'm defiant, cause I know that I'm a giant at core. Yeah, I'm that boy. I'm just, let them know that I'm next level, I'm a whole new kind of guy, jeans.
0: Uh, aloha and welcome everyone to another episode of Hawaii's number one podcast for tech and entertainment, the Casanova Podcast. I'm your host, Mikhail Casanova, and I'm joined today by a very, very special guest, the one, the only, the phenomenal Luna, aka Cynthia, aka C. Sue, aka whatever you want to say. Anyways. That's
1: a lot. That's a
2: lot. <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> a whole, <laughs> how
1: are you, you doing? How are
2: you doing? I'm doing pretty good, actually. Dude, I feel like I'm on like one of those weather reports and I'm like, because <laughs> I just got passed. <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, Just chilling today, like going through house viewings and all that stuff and going through job interviews. So I'm in the midst of all that. But Business. today was a pretty, yes. But compared to my other days, it's a lot more relaxed compared to others.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, we can do like a an introduction, like I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. So you are a destruction artist, and that is something that I wasn't that familiar with. But then I looked at your demo reel and I'm like, holy shit, that's fucking cool. So, you know, <laughs> the floor is yours. Go ahead and, um, you know, educate us on it.
2: So Destruction Artist, as I like to introduce it when I tell people my job description is that I essentially blow shit up for video games. So think of it like a demolitionist for Mm -hmm. video game assets. And that can go for a wide range of like small assets that you see characters bump into, um, to cracks or things that are like along the floor, the walls, whole buildings coming down planes falling out of the sky. Um, but what I'm done, uh, what I do is I'm essentially given like either cameras, characters or whatever the scene requires. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am supposed to fit it into the animations or fit it into the type of destruction that they are looking for. So if someone says, uh, I who, who can we use? Um, I guess I'll, since I'm more familiar with Kratos, since I worked on God of War, take Kratos for example. He goes and rams a person through a wall. You know, the environment artist will give me the wall, the ca- camera artist will give me the camera, and then the character artist will give me the animations to the characters, and I bring that all into scene. And mm-hmm. what I do is I essentially match the destruction, uh, the breakable, the impact of where the characters goes through the wall, and make it as real as possible. So I deal with creating physics-based simulations and make them into physics objects that the characters or the walls or the floor or whatever else is going on at the time, because sometimes there could be a lot going on or a little going on, um, and create those animations that way. So they tend to interact with player um, though they tend to be locked during scenes. So depending on whether they're a cinematic or they're, it's a, just a simple cut scene, or if it's just something that the character can just bump into and trigger, it really depends on what level of boom I'm supposed to create. Okay. Um, that's probably like the easiest way to explain it. <laughs>
0: And and you've worked on a lot of AAA titles, like you've done both God of Wars and you've done Halo and uh, just, you know what, toot your own horn here. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. Um, I had worked on the God of War, the 2018. Uh, so essentially, not necessarily the reboot, but um, more where the story develops between Kratos and his son. Um, I did a lot of destruction scenes in there. Uh, if anyone has ever played it. One of my biggest destruction scenes was the elevator scene with the dragon coming and blasting through the whole wall and the vines and the electricity going on and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was one of them. Uh, I know when I worked on the second one, I did a lot more of the puzzles. So I mm-hmm. did a lot more of the cinematic, not the cinematic, but the puzzle destruction. Bits because mm-hmm. of the how complicated those systems were um, because they had introduced, spoiler alert, a new weapon um, mm-hmm. into that game. And the way the mechanic worked for that particular weapon is that it was wind-based. So what it did is that the attack was a type of vortex. So when the character threw the, the spear into a certain part of the puzzle or destructible, um, it would create the vortex spin before it would launch and explode out. And since many, since a uh, few of our new hires weren't quite familiar with working with forces and all that stuff, that was something that was uh, left for me to do. So I did quite a few of those type of puzzles alongside other, excuse me, um, like bumble bowls, other destruction scenes, breakable walls, doors, things like
0: that. Okay, and like, Roughly, like from start to finish, how long would you say, like, the working on these projects and the tasks that you're given, how long would that roughly take?
2: Depends on the size of the asset, honestly. Like, keep in mind when, at least in my studio, or at least the studios that I have worked in, they tend to keep those ratios, how do you say, human size? So, Mm -hmm. real scale. There you go or world okay. scale, I should say. Um, so a lot of these assets um, depend on their size. So okay. if I'm working on a door that's the size of Andre the Giant, which one of them was um, in the second God of War, um, it could take a few days. Um, because okay. how the process goes is that once I'm given the asset, the asset already has to be like textured and all that stuff. like. It's supposed to be finished. No one else is supposed to at me. Um, but I go through a process of figuring out what the destruction is or what, the, what they want specifically for it, if it needs to match an animation. I have to break that asset in a way that can sell the animation. So, for instance, there is a scene in God of War Ragnarok where one of the characters ends up punching a hole into a stone wall. but This guy mm-hmm. is like well over seven feet. Um, and he had a lot of strength to him. He was, I don't want to give spoilers. He was just a really, really big guy and he had a, a <laughs> lot of strength. Um, but yeah, so we had to break through a quite like a thick like stone wall. And mm-hmm. so in order to sell this, we had to, or at least what I discussed with my boss was that he wanted a type of radial break and what a radial break is that like you have a focal point where the initial impact happens that radiates out in a circular motion to kind of create cracks along it before it just collapses. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we were trying to trigger. Um, So after like figuring out the type of break, I have to make the cuts to do it. So I either use a, hand cuts where I literally cut all of them in Maya. Like, so I take the cut tool and just sit there and create my lines and making sure that they're all proper geometry and all that stuff, redoing textures if I need to, if I make anything warped or messed up or anything like that, I have to be mindful and aware of that. So it does take some modeling expertise, making sure that I am doing a uh, proper poly count. I'm not doing any weird triangles or NGONs or anything like that because, um, these assets still have to meet performance, obviously. So if I'm going to be messing with them, I have to make sure that that level of quality is maintained through and through. Mm -hmm. So I either do it that way, or I use two other programs um, for streamlining uh, destruction. And one of them happens to be a program called PDI, which is uh, an abbreviation for Pull Down It, which is a plugin you can to help with your destruction scenes. And it's actually a pretty nifty plugin to where it can help you create fractures in like two different ways. Um, Or it can help you create the simulations. That's typically where I would do my simulations from is we would use PDI once all the breaks were created, we would use this plugin to create the simulations and apply the physics, the objects in it it, it interacts with the ground and all that stuff in there. And that's where the simulations would come into play. Um, Or we would use a program called, uh, we would use Houdini, Um, but Houdini was relatively new. Uh, Uh We only started working on that or using that tool in the second God of War. The first God of War, we still did everything by hand or useful it to, to do our stuff. But with Houdini, it streamed a line a lot of our breakable process. So we mm-hmm. didn't have to spend so much time creating all the hand cuts or the pieces or whichever, unless they were like directly in line side of camera and player was just like, I see you. So we had to make sure it looked good. <laughs> um, but after those cuts were done, though that part, Usually is what took the longest, depending on the size of the asset. So if yeah, it yeah. was, so if player could obviously see it, I had to be mindful and make those hand cuts, make sure they're clean and all that stuff. But if they're far enough away, we knew there's going to be a lot of VFX going on. Um, I can get away with being bringing the quality down just a little bit, but you get a lot more particles and effects and all that other stuff to sell. Um, and then. The next part would be actually creating the simulations, and usually okay. the simu- usually the simulations don't take that long. You would think that creating the simulations and getting the explosion or the feel of it correct would take most of the process. It actually doesn't. Um, sure, it can take a few trial and errors. Like I could probably go through like maybe fifty minimum simulations before I'm happy with one of them,
1: 50.
2: and yeah. Um, and I know that sounds like a lot because you think of the time, the process and all that other stuff it goes through. But right. the reality is, is that once you actually have the assets and the pieces that you want and need, all of it is essentially organization. You'd be really surprised on how organized destruction artists actually have to be with their stuff, especially if we gotta if we're going to be doing multiple animations for it, like the main uh-huh. animation, the secondary, the third and all that other stuff to really sell pieces. And we don't just... Do one animation, and just do the whole sim. There are actually a lot of times where we take groups and pieces and be like, okay, let's sim, let's send this first, or let we want this to be impacted first, or we want this to be the first trigger or chain, because you know how sometimes when you see something really strong, or like say Thor like hitting his hammer into the floor, sometimes you see like the initial hit. But, and it sinks down, but then all of a sudden you see that you feel that power when you all of a sudden feel this invisible force that goes don don, you know, really right. show that there's a lot of power behind it. Those are usually done with secondary animations, not typically in just one full go. Um, so we can work like that, and in order for us to be able to keep track of the animations, we have to group the pieces that we end up breaking into different subgroups. And a lot of the times we can be working. <sighs> Maybe a thousand pieces if we're nice. It really depends. Uh, Because I know the dragon scene I worked
0: at a minimum.
2: Depends on the size, yes. Um, The dragon scene was probably like well over like 2,000, maybe 3,000 pieces initially um before you start filtering out like what's seen on camera what flies off camera what is not even seen like what is lost and so i have to go through that process once i figure out the type of animation that feels right not just looks right but feels sells the like breakable because you know when you when you see someone go through a wall like it's one thing to like you know it's another thing when you feel the person you feel the impact and the pressure of when someone just like goes cracking through that Cracking through that, and then you feel and see all the debris and the heaviness, and then all of a sudden things come on down. You start getting that anxiety, especially when you're in the middle of like an animation or a cinematic for that. Mm -hmm. So, making sure you have that feel in your simulation is typically where I say, Okay, this is good. Like, if I don't feel that explosion, Mm -hmm. then that's why I keep doing it. So, that's another reason why we can go through 50 different simulations before something feels right because we can tweak a lot of different things, whether it's the timing of the character impacting the wall or offsetting the secondary animations to trigger or offsetting um, other objects to come into scene after another animation's been triggered. So we do a lot of... mm, nitpicking, I guess you could say, Um, fine tuning. We we do a lot of fine tuning. So once we like a certain portion of it, we don't have to tweak that anymore and we could start tweaking other stuff. So it's kind of like a trickle down effect of when you get the main animation to sell, the rest of it just kind of falls into place and it's just making it feel and all cohesive. So that's why going through the simulation can maybe take, if it's not really that bad, an hour, maybe two hours at most, like if you're not doing large, large scales. And keep in mind, in any game, there there are a lot of destruction scenes outside, but there's at least maybe three to five destruction artists doing it, so that's split up evenly. So most of the time, we're dealing with things that are more human size and scale. So nothing too large, nothing too big. Not everything deals with characters, because um, uh, I know in God of War you can break a lot of stuff. You know, you can break yeah. carts and vases and, and columns and all that stuff. We deal with that. So those types of assets can take maybe a day in total to for from like start to finish. Or it can take up to a week, which my dragon scene took like about a week to to fine-tune it to a place. Then it gets hooked in. And then after all the VFX and all that other stuff are put in in the part in the particles, that's when we go back, revisit, and making sure everything lines up, all the animations line up and all that stuff. So it can range between like half a day to whole week depending on the size of it long story short
0: (laughs) yeah it's a lot but like once you go ahead no 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 go ahead go ahead
2: i was just gonna say like once you get past the simulations it's all just cleanup work when you like the animations that you see um it's just making sure that it reads well with the camera it reads well with the characters that there's nothing like phasing through characters or phasing through the ground or getting weird top spins because you know uh, i'm not sure how much you pay attention to destruction scenes or if you checked out like student portfolios that do destruction art or anything like that um a common I do. thing but a common like
0: is thing... this is mind-blowing like being able to hear how, what all goes into it because okay not not to interrupt too much but like oh, you fine it's so funny like when i talk to other youtubers or, or gamers there's so not in the know of what all goes into like creating a game, creating scenes, creating environments. And it's so frustrating for me because I'm friends with so many people in the industry that you know I know that there's so much work that goes into it. So when I hear you know YouTubers and gamers say, Oh, you know, they, they cheaped out on this or they 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 were half-assing this, I'm like, you don't know what the can i sort? you know what the fuck you're talking about you're asking me it's your show <laughs> <laughs> no, right so I'm like is this is this right <laughs> but c- continue though
2: no I, I i get what you mean and it's a bit of a perspective shift to be completely honest because i mean it's one thing you're you're enjoying a game you know you you're paying money you're expecting a certain kind of quality you know and i mm. feel that yes there are times when certain players or gamers can be a bit spoiled in their expectations, but I I don't think it is necessarily intentional because we as gamers or we as creators like to raise the bar a lot. So Mm -hmm. if one company does really well in a certain area, like that becomes the bar for the rest of the company. So it becomes really hard to sometimes match it and keeping in mind that budget's not always the same for all games. uh, The workforce is not always the same for all games um, the type of people or who worked on games is not always the same. So people don't realize that those things change. And because it's art, just because everybody can do environment art or everybody can do VFX, it's still art. So everybody has a style to it. Everybody has a flair. Everybody sells things differently, pays attention to different notes and all that stuff. So it it gets lost, if you will, yeah. from someone playing versus someone working because it's behind yeah. the scenes. So it's understandable. But the thing is, though, is that the fun thing, at least I think it's fun. I could be just weird um, yeah. With destruction art is that if you don't notice our stuff, that means we're doing it right. Really? Yes. Um, because okay. so, for instance, take a movie. Doctor Strange had a lot of destruction in there, right? Mm-hmm. And say for instance, you see like the castle coming down at the final scene and all that stuff, right? You would notice if the destruction didn't feel off if it wasn't timed correctly, right? Like, and and it would set you off. It wouldn't necessarily make you say something but you would sit there and just be like, that doesn't, doesn't seem right. Weren't they just like in there a few seconds ago and then now it's breaking but the timing doesn't seem right and like, your brain starts looking for the, the flaws. Naturally, mm-hmm. we are drawn to flaws, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so when we feel those things that are off, it takes us out of the moment. It takes us out of the scene. It takes us out of the cinematic. And our mind just starts becoming distracted, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so as a destruction artist, it's our job since we can work in a lot of cinematics to make sure that we do not snap you out of that moment. So if okay. we can get you to stray away from all the work that we just did and make sure that you start feeling and focusing on what's going on with the character it means we're doing our job. Right. Okay.
0: All right. So like, say for okay.
2: instance, like Kratos comes in and he needs to save a son from a building that's falling, falling down. Right. If you're too mm-hmm. distracted with like the pieces that are not falling correctly or not following the timing or they cut through the character or the VFX didn't, wasn't placed properly on them or things of that sort, you get distracted from the the main point. Character, uh character, wow, credo <laughs> you know, saving his son <laughs> from the falling building. But if yeah. we do our job right, it emphasizes the level of danger and need and urgency that he needs when he's trying to get out of the building.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's not taking away. So that's mm-hmm. what I mean by not getting lost and distracted by what's wrong because it's really i mean you've played games so it's really easy to feel when something isn't right when a mechanic is too slow or the combat's a bit off or your controller's dragging to the left you know things Mm. like that so it's it's what we notice without actually saying anything so if we can keep you in that moment we did our job
0: okay so uh, the question i have is one okay so it's not one question is two questions so we're we're, yeah (laughs) so one how long have you been in the industry and two what prompted you to get into this particular field because i know there's a story i know i've heard a little bit of it but the floor is yours to uh be as open about it as you can or want to
2: so I would say I officially started back in 2018. God of War, the 2018 version, was my official first hire, first company to work for. I know working at a AAA company, it's not something everybody can get into. Um, I'm not saying that to say, no, don't fucking plan on it. No, I'm not saying that at all. Because <laughs> that was my motivation. Because my teacher told me that I was never going to get into a AAA company as my first job, and that lit a fire under my butt, and that's how I got this job, that job. Anyway, um, but yeah, Uh, my job happened to have been at uh, my my first job happened to have been at uh, Sony Santa Monica, and Mm -hmm. that was, what, like five years ago? 2018, 19, 20, 22, Okay. That, five years that not, yeah
0: that doesn't feel like it was that long ago
2: it doesn't it really doesn't no. some people have been in the industry for 15 20 25 years i'm still just a little tiny little thing like despite my resume i can still have trouble finding jobs like and being that being said it's because of the type of job that i got myself into since it is a niche position um it can fall under the effects or depending on the uh, company, it can be its own title. Like I know Sony Santa Monica had its own breakable department. So specifically, Mm -hmm. we had their own set of breakable or destruction artists. That was all they were meant for. But other studios, sometimes they may not have that. Destruction artists may be seen as more of a jack of all trades. So it's a secondary skill set to VFX where they do the particles, Mm -hmm. the dust and rainbows and fire. And all that stuff which i don't know how to do which you need to learn but um to explain how i got in the industry that one is because i couldn't keep my mouth shut um i can be a bit of a talker um And when people are being rude, I usually don't sit quietly, though I can try and be nice. I, I, I really can try and be nice and patient. But if you continue being rude, I will tell you there you're being rude. You're um, like,
0: bitch, I will cut you.
2: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I did that day. So, how I ended up with this job is originally I went to the Art Institute to learn concept art. But when I had gotten to the Art Institute, I was told that concept art is not something that they teach. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to let that distract me. I'm pretty sure that there are other things that I can get into that I'd enjoy. I know I like computers. I know I like playing games, so I'm not going to limit myself to just drawing. And so that's when they gave me the option to do either animation or 3D modeling. And for me, I'm just so like, I don't think I'm a storyteller. Boy, am I wrong. Um." <laughs> I'm just a different kind of just dis- a storyteller. Like people like make characters love you and hug me and stuff like that. I'm like, no, let's blow shit up. Um, that's my storytelling. Mine's chaotic. <laughs> so I picked three D modeling, and I was going to move to do three D modeling with environments, and so mm-hmm. that's what I had gone to school for for two years. Um, but one of the teachers that I had met there. Um, it was late at night, finals, and he was giving us our final critique on one of our projects. And mm-hmm. to be completely honest with you, I bombed it. <laughs> bombed it. Like, I was no, like, yes, I was a good student, but that specific class was probably one of the few classes that I completely bombed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, like, I failed it. Like, I know I look at it, I'm just thinking about it. Jesus, I was... <laughs> I was trying to replicate a scene from one of the Jurassic Park movies. Mm -hmm. So modeled it out and all that stuff. But the textures, I didn't sell very well. And I know the proportions weren't that great. And I just didn't finish it, just fell through. So I knew I was gonna get reamed. I knew I wasn't gonna get a grade for it. And I wanted to at least hear like from the teacher's perspective where I honestly could have done better because obviously uh-huh. teachers, they work there, they work in the industry, they have the experience, they deal with the pipeline, they have the learned expectations of what's, what your workload's supposed to be like in the industry. And so uh-huh. I wanted to hear that, especially since I'm paying my own money to go to school. Like I wanted to hear that feedback, even if I know I fucked up. Like I was holding uh-huh. myself accountable and I wanted to do better. And so it was it ended up being my turn for my critique. And he goes and puts up my final on the projector. And he tries talking to me. Keep in mind, I'm like sitting front row. And he's no more than maybe five, six feet from me at his computer desk. And I still couldn't hear him, Okay, And this guy is like well over 6'2", all right? And he's got a booming voice. And I still couldn't hear him. And I'm sitting in the front row because there's a set of people in the back just sitting there giggling, talking, chit-chatting. They were doing it throughout the whole critique. No one said anything to them. And I'm all like, please don't let them be rude and talk during my critique. And so the teacher started and was trying to give me the critique and they still kept going on and on. And I'm just like, all right, maybe they might get the hint. Maybe I'll just scoot a little closer and just give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, work with it, be patient with it. But when I hear them start laughing, I'm all like, all right, you know what? I stood up, cut the teacher off, turned around and I looked at them. I'm like, look, I don't give a fuck what you guys do with your money. I'm paying and using my money to pay for school. I'm trying to listen to the teacher on how I can do better in class. I know I okay. fucked up, but I still wanna fucking hear on how I can improve. So if you guys can shut the fuck up or leave, like please, mm-hmm. I would like to hear how I can be better. Thank you. And then I turned to the teacher and am him, please continue, which caused him to laugh and which was the main impressor um, for it. Keep in mind, I still didn't get a good, good grade for it. Um but it opened up a door to where I was able to talk to this teacher like and pick his brain and honestly improve my modeling, my texturing, my work ethic, my project, my management skills for my my projects and he was the individual that actually offered me a junior position to be a destruction artist. Keep in mind, I didn't go to school for animations. I went to school for 3D modeling and I took the time and the incentive to learn Animations. I had no background whatsoever on how to animate anything. All right. But because of that one incident and the follow-up after with him and my like my, my picking his brain, me taking extensive notes, him seeing that I'm applying these notes to my projects and further pushing myself and pushing myself and pushing myself. He saw that work ethic and he enjoyed that work ethic, saw that I was willing to learn, saw that I was willing to put forth the effort and not let people distract me or stop me, even if I was my own blockade. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And by doing that, it gave me a networking opportunity, which landed me the job at God of War. And even then, like it was a huge learning experience for me, because like I said, I didn't know how to animate. I had to learn how to animate. I had to learn how to do physics-based simulations. I had to learn how to like implement character animations, camera animations, all that other stuff. I had fucking like three notebooks uh, of stuff um, for all my stuff. Like whether I was doing simple things in in Maya to do animations or like just little things that I needed to pay attention and look for. you can't just expect the work to just fall in your lap. You have to put forth the work in. So, Mm -hmm. and you have to prove that day in and day out when you're at one of these types of jobs, you know? Like if you're not willing to put the work in, it will quickly show when you come to the end of your task, you know? And you have to present it to your boss or your peers. It's not like, oh, here, I'm done. And then it's never checked again. No, these things are reviewed by not only your boss, the, your team management lead, your, what's it, your project manager, and then your department lead, and then the overall, like it has to pass through so many different people for it to be okay. And so if you're going to be the type of person to be like, it has to be sent back to over and over and over again, you're going to quickly be seeing that you're not doing your of the work. Like getting to these types of things is a difficult thing to do, but it's not, Something not—it's something everybody can do. It's just they have to have the discipline for it.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's
2: how I ended up in it, and that's just me. But someone tells you you can't do something, but your ass—you show them they're wrong.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I got stories of that.
2: <laughs> I bet that's you do.
0: I, that's how I got into IT. I was doing that for like ten years, no background at all in IT. Ended up senior infosec um what else did i do i did um, uh AD active directory and i had to do uh what did we we implemented epic. so i had to go get epic certified for the medical so here in hawaii um we have a chain the biggest hospital chain out here is hawaii pacific health and i worked for them for about a decade and the way i got into working there was um coming out of college. Uh, so I graduated back in, God, when it didn't even feel that long ago, 2008. So I, got, so I graduated right at the start of the, the uh, um, recession. And so I, I went to school for marketing, uh, focusing in um, public relations and media, and also uh, got a second major in um, psychology and mm-hmm. science. And so, like, I was like, okay, what can I do with this? And then, like, nobody was hired that's all, at all. So, like, I ultimately ended up doing retail for years. You know, I was working multiple jobs, with kiosks and all this, and all the while paying off that damn student loan. So then one of the jobs I ended up working, with, working at was Apple. And one of the people there, my manager there, told me that I would never do more than work retail. And that pissed, that pissed me out. They're like, this is the height of what you're going to do. And so I ended up. Uh, venting to my friend who was working there, but he was also working at Hawaii State Hill. And he's like, hey, just go apply and, and um, put down me as a reference. So I did. And I got hired and I started off well, I'm gonna wrong because I had no degree in IT or anything like that. So they're like, all right, so we're going to start you at the call center. And then when I was there, Everything there was new to me. Like, I knew how to build computers and troubleshoot and all that other stuff. But, like, their archaic, ass-backwards, bash-backwards, like, system that they had in place that was so out of date. Training manuals are, like, 15 years out of date. I'm having to learn everything. And I constantly, the entire time I'm there, I'm told, you know, you're never going to move up from here. You're never going to get promoted. Your work is terrible. And so it just kept pushing me. Over and over. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck you guys. I'm going to do this. And I'm, I'm just because I have to do it. Like, I'm the youngest in my family. And everyone else in my family is successful in something, be it, you know, music or uh, science or whatever. I'm I'm kind of the ugly duckling because I'm the one that's like, everyone's like, oh, you know, you're, you're not following the family tradition. Whatever. Fuck the tradition. <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, I pushed myself because I'm always told I can't do. And then within a year, my first year, I got promoted to a business analyst, which they mm-hmm. thought they it blew their mind. And I worked hard in everybody. I, I, I first went in, last one out, worked hard in everybody. And then from there, I just kept pushing and pushing, got promoted from business analyst to uh, InfoSec. And from InfoSec to... Um, Senior InfoSec and then to like the top guy. I, I literally had my own team. And then when they laid everyone off, I was the team. So I was working six days a week, technically seven six days a week, 17 hours a day. And on call 24. Oh, for gosh. for twenty six hospitals and about 70 clinics on all islands. That was all me, And That's I lot. had and I had to learn telephony. Uh so uh telephony, yeah. So I had to learn how to set up because they migrated to a whole new phone structure. I had to learn how that worked, I had no background in that, I had to learn that, and then literally every hospital that's within that branch of Hawaii Pacific Health in Hawaii. If you call that number to get routed, I built that whole fucking network. So yeah, I did that, I set up their security, I did. All the traveling for different training, I set up their uh medical epics system. That I was the first and only person for like several years to be certified. I was doing stuff that wasn't even in my field, but it's so funny because I ran into my old boss there yesterday. Actually, it was funny, and he's like, He's like, oh, I'm, I'm shocked, dude. you're not with the company anymore. He's like, You know, you were so good. I said, Yeah, I was good and you doubted me i thank you for that because that pushed me to succeed so your low expectations of me thank you for that because i need to rise above that so yeah that i think my last day there was 2019 before i went full-time doing this and that's another thing i was doing all that and doing this full-time so anytime i hear people say like Oh, you know, I can't do content. I can't do my job. Not, you can do whatever you set your mind to, if you got the determination to do it, the fire and the discipline, you can do it. Yes, yes, you can. So, I just wanted to share that because I'm like, I, I could completely relate to your story. I yeah, like people...
2: <laughs> good.
0: No, I was gonna say like, I love, I love when people like underestimate. It, it's such a motivator.
2: Yeah, it really is. Like. I know it's pretty easy to go and take someone's information and disbelief in you. And it's easy for us to be all like, oh, well, if they don't believe me, no one else is going to believe in me, you know. And I know I can fall into this where there are times where I don't believe in myself. But when it comes to my job, when when it came to school, I did not allow the beliefs of others to influence my ability to work. And I think that's the biggest difference is that it was work. This was Mm -hmm. my job. This is what I wanted my job to be. And so I couldn't allow people's opinions of me, the current work that I had going on to dictate on where my life was going to go because everyone starts somewhere. Everyone's work in the beginning is shit. And Even if it's not shit, even if you're potentially a genius, you have to come with. Sorry, you have to come to terms. You have to come to terms with, um, with the fact you have you have a lot of conflict of yourself because then you get the idea that oh, I'm a genius. I can do this within like ten minutes. I don't have to put any extra work in, and then that becomes a habit. But the person that who isn't a genius who puts more work in will end up being better. Than you in the long run, because they are showing the dedication. And that hard work really does pay a difference to some people that are naturally talented. And I think that can get in people's way a lot of the time. So even if you're naturally talented, you should still push yourself, you should still challenge yourself, you should still do things that will make your natural skills better, more refined, stand out, you know, like what you did with with the company, you made yourself invaluable. You made yourself like, yes, you started out from nothing but you learned all the knowledge and you learned so much knowledge that you were able to move up. Not one, not two, but four different ranks before you were the one that was telling everybody else what to do. That doesn't come from being naturally gifted. That comes from hard work and discipline when no one else believed in you except you. Like, and that goes to show you that sometimes you don't need the belief of others except yourself to, get the work done whether it is your job or your personal life like the the logic is still the same you have to believe in you you have to be able to provide for you i'm not saying don't trust anybody that, that's <laughs> not it like i wouldn't be here without people i wouldn't be here without the opportunities that were given to me and yes there are people that didn't believe in me but there are plenty of other people that did and for me to not disappoint them i worked harder I worked a lot harder and and finding that type of motivation, like it's easier to not want to disappoint people versus disappointing yourself. Cause we all make that mistake. Like, Oh, it's just me. It's okay. I'll do better next time or whatever. We set the bar lower for ourselves or we don't push ourselves as hard because we're not showing anyone else or failing. But if we put Mm. that expectation out on someone else and that other person has that expectation on you, you're like, you have more of a a challenge to yourself. You're like, I don't want to fail. I don't want to do this, you know? Yes, failure can happen. Yes, failure does come. Yes, you can take it in stride. Don't let it like keep you on your feet, you know? Use it as motivation. Turn that motivation into a form of discipline because no one can break discipline because that is more than just a habit. That is a necessity. That is a way of life. That is how you will do everything not just one thing.
0: All of that. All of that. I love it. Love that. And I'm going to add to that. I did all that while having cancer.
2: That's something you didn't share with me. My goodness. Way to drop the mic on that one.
0: (laughs) No, like I, I, um, yeah, I had stage two, then it, became stage three, uh, colorectal cancer. So I, Terrifying. I went through that. That's why I'm both. Well, I'm trying to grow it back anyway, but yeah, I went, I did all that while going through that and doing this. So like when people are like, oh, I can't do it. Or I want to give I'm like, no, fuck that. Believe in yourself. Dig deep as best you can and work through that. So,
2: yeah. It, and I know it can be difficult and I know it can be hard and I know everybody's different. Like, their are people's threshold for motivation or dedication and stuff like that, or even just how they meet themselves. It's hard. Like, I know there are people that said, I have had all this happen, and it's possible. Yes, it is possible, but whether someone is capable of it is a different story.
0: Okay, that's true. Okay. So sh- shifting gears a bit, let's talk about your own personal brand and business. See you soon. Let's talk about that.
2: My art, my other yes. art,
0: yes. my not destructive one.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I need to have both the creative and the destructive in my life. So got to have both sides, yin and yang. Um, <laughs> So aside from, yes, doing destruction art as my career and passion, um, mm-hmm. I have my business called see you soon which is a i'm a creator i'm a resin art creator and Mm -hmm. so the type of art that i create is i use epoxy resin which is typically a construction tool like a type of plastic that you can use to reform bridges or use it in building uh like water pipes or buildings and Things like that. It's used as a form of more reinforcement than anything. Mm-hmm. Like you would see, like, especially for like bridges, they would take and pour gallons of epoxy over the, the columns to help barricade them from weathering and natural disasters and stuff like that to help further the support to be able to like go through like the amount of cars and buildings and wear and tear to help like make it last longer. And of course, as artists, we like to repurpose everything that we can. So <laughs> So with resin art, um, I took epoxy resin and I create art from it. And what that means is is that you take this epoxy resin, which essentially becomes plastic when you take these two parts chemicals and mix them together. And when you do that, that's when I create all my magic within the 30 to 45 minutes the timeframe gives me. Um, Yes, I love working around the clock and giving myself pressure. So to explain uh, how epoxy resin works is that you have a chemical compound of a part A and a part B one is mm-hmm. the normal actual like mixer and the other one's considered the hardener and when you put these two compounds together depending on the kind of resin it is sometimes you can have a 1 to 1 some you can have a 1 to 2 some can have a 3 to uh the 3 to 1 it really depends on the type of resin that you're working with there's no choice of what resin is better um unless someone pays me uh just kidding uh,
0: but what are your rates
2: <laughs> well i mean i like total boat but that's just me and my preference because of the style but
0: okay.
2: me personally like i said everybody when it comes to art everyone's a bit different and for mm-hmm. me i've always been the type of artist that likes to visually have like a like I'm attracted to things that are visually appealing. I like the visual aesthetic. So it explains why I enjoy doing animations and destruction art, because visually it's a lot of information to be feeding to somebody and to find it appealing and attractive that kind of carried on into my resin art. And so Mm -hmm. type of pieces that I created when you mix these two parts together, it creates a chemical reaction that causes the, the piece to overall harden in whatever type of container or what we use are molds um, that we pour into. And the molds are limited to anyone's imagination. So you can have like coasters or trays or stars or skulls or dragon heads, or you can have like flat pieces with a bunch of like cool etching on it from like sexy mushroom babes to cats or Hulk or whatever someone wants to make. So the sky's the limit when it comes to the type of molds that we wanna pour into. But for example, we'll just use a simple tray. Like the molds that I tend to use tend to be a bit like thicker because mm-hmm. during the chemical process on which the resin takes to harden, um, it allows what you can say movement to happen because epoxy resin, when you first start out with it, it's a liquid compound. And so, as it's when you mix these two together, you have about, and this also depends based on the resin that you're using, between 30 minutes to about an hour, maybe an hour and 20 mm-hmm. to work time to do what you need to. Me personally, I have a preference to using a shorter work time um, because of the type of style that I'm keen to. I like trippy shit so (laughs) things that are a bit more on the psychedelic level things that where you see like drips like if you've ever seen those like big glass fish water containers and you see people drop in clouds of ink so resin can be the same way is where we take alcoholic ink and then we put in like uh, say we're taking like pink we pour a couple pieces of like alcoholic pink ink in, and then we'll take like a white ink and the white ink, what it does is that since it's the heaviest of all the pigments that we have, it purposely pulls the pink ink down, but because it's white, depending on how much white you put in it, it can create an interesting gradation of color. So you can have like the darkest color first, but then depending on how much white, how heavy it is, as it pulls down, it can go wider and wider and wider to where you get a pretty cool ombre without actually trying. And because of how resin is, since it's fluid and you're pouring these things in, you want to trap these effects. And if you let these mm-hmm. effects move or stay in liquid for too long, you've seen with the, the water effects that it, it eventually comes crashing down to the ground. And then the whole thing is flooded with whatever color you choose to use.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So for me personally, since I want to try and stop that interaction from happening too much, I use a shorter time frame. So that way by the time it hardens after like 45 minutes, there's not gonna be much overall movement inside the resin, but maybe on top of it as it's still like fully curing, but mm-hmm. not too much after that. So the okay. longer time you have, the more time has stuff has to move. So if you like longer work times, a lot of people like using inserts and flowers and all that stuff. So they'll use longer ones that sit so they have more time to, like, place these complex designs, these floral designs. And some people are fucking nuts with this stuff. It blows my mind. I still try and figure it out. Lila. (laughs) She's telling me she's hungry and that I need to feed her. Can you wait? Just, like, 10 minutes? She's looking at me like, no. She's like, You're late. I told you about this, like, she's my second one. Um, But yeah, like, so people can do a lot of different things. I just like to focus on more of like the natural, more organic type of designs that you can get with it. Though I do like working with flowers and I do like making like my own foils to put inside these pieces. I like the organic feels and colors and designs that I can get with just using different techniques that I've discovered since working mm-hmm. with for two years.
0: Okay. So, so what, cause I, I, I can sense the passion that you have for this. How did you get into it or is this something you've always been doing?
2: No, I was actually into fluid painting first acrylic pores. So where people take like those five, six, seven different colors and pour it into a cup and then flip it over and put it onto a canvas and then go, and then just kind (laughs) of spin it around. That's what I used to like watching. I used to love watching it. I found it very therapeutic and relaxing. And I still haven't sent you those videos. Shame on me. You should have reminded me. I'll send you those videos (laughs) later today um, on what I mean. But I was into acrylic pores first. And I thought those were very fun to get into. But as I read more into it, I realized that a lot of the people, or at least the level that I wanted to perform at, since it was still relatively new, a lot of people weren't sharing like their mixtures for their paints mm-hmm. because using certain mixtures or adding it into the paints would get them to perform or behave differently. Mm-hmm. And because there were some complex ones out there, um, I couldn't... I was intimidated on trying it because I didn't wanna go through the process of having to figure out all the stuff and the ratios to put into it. Yes, I had the internet, but when people start things, it's not always available to you, all right?
1: <laughs> I was
2: being lazy, all right? I will admit this, here now. I was being lazy with the acrylic pores. Um, but it was more fun for me to watch. But once I saw that there was a few artists that would finish their pieces, they wouldn't all use varnish you know, to protect the pieces and stuff like that to bring forth the color. Some people would use resin. And since at the time I never knew what resin was, I dived into it. I'm just like, what is this like goopy shit that they're putting onto it that becomes like hard like plastic? I don't get it. And when I looked into it, that's when I found and discovered this whole other world of art that went over my head. But I found it way more entertaining to want to try that out. You know, because I didn't have to go and dive into, like, serious mixtures and preparing paints and all that other stuff. It was just all I had to do was mix part A, part B, put that together, and then just get a couple of inks and have at it. And I had won a contest. So, yes, I had won a contest that they had sent me, like, a starter kit. And once I started, I was just like, ah, fuck, I'm sold. (laughs) so now i am and i have like four addictions to glitter molds uh flowers and foils go figure they didn't tell you this when i started but as an artist you will get these addictions and it won't go away (laughs) (laughs) That's where That's where my money goes. Instead of just going out to parties and drinking and, and doing drugs, mine just goes into sniffing glitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, you know, being mindful of time because uh, I know you got a busy rest of your day. Um, is there anything? Okay, two questions. We'll, we'll we'll break that up into two questions. So one. Is there any advice that you would give to people either A, damn, this is actually three questions, any advice you would give to people that um, are interested in going into doing destruction art? And the second question, you can answer these in any order you want, is there any advice you would give to people who are looking to get into resin art? So however you want to go about
2: it. Honestly, if you really want to get into destruction art, I would say have references. Like you'd be surprised okay. on how much references I am looking on the daily, even when I'm not working. Like when I'm going out and about walking around, I naturally instinctively look for destruction. Or if I find pieces that are destroyed and stuff like that, I take into account I look and see on how those details can be translated over into a game. Like my brain doesn't necessarily go on and off at work. No, I'm constantly looking for references. I'm looking for ways to improve myself. And being a part of... Anything, especially in a career choice that deals with a lot of technology, evolving technology, mind you. You always have to see where you can improve, and for me, as a destruction artist, animations. I have to constantly look at animations. So, seeing on how people interact, seeing how the world interacts, seeing on how different materials can behave in different environments. Or,
0: so so this goes to what I said before to you that. You're very observant. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so if you have a keen eye, that's definitely a plus for you if you want to get into destruction right? But <laughs> references. Like always never be afraid to go back and look at references. Don't think you know everything from memory. It's awesome and cool if you do. But having it constantly in your face reminds you it's practice and by you practicing looking for these types of things these details being mindful of textures of materials of the dynamic of the environments and all this stuff it helps sell the scene that you're creating you know like things don't naturally spin indefinitely when you get a destruction scene like you see and you feel that these things are off like yes you can get up and walk away from it and come back to it. But there's things that you choose not to pay attention to, or you say, no, this is good enough. No, your pieces will never be good enough. (laughs) But it's knowing when you get rid of the obvious stuff is when Mm -hmm. it gets better. When you start really searching for things and you have a hard enough time finding those things that are off, that means you're getting closer to where you need to be. But there's always room for improvement, but references will definitely help you get far along because you're you're making animations. You're trying to sell this in a video game. And most of the time, people like things to feel as realistic as possible without being perfect. You get me?
1: Okay, yeah,
2: okay. And I think my advice for resin art, don't be scared, <laughs> um, <laughs> take the plunge but fail like do not be scared to fail because i think that can be the most intimidating thing because when once a piece is cured that's it no more you can't go back and fix it it's solid it's stone like it's the idea of using the word yolo and not regretting it okay (laughs) um Yeah, don't be afraid for failure because honestly, you'd be really surprised. And I think that's something that I learned when doing this craft is that things that didn't turn out how I wanted it to does not make it a failure. Does not make it bad because I have been shown time and time again that pieces I thought were total shit. All right, like something that I probably wouldn't wipe my ass with. Right. That, that but keep in mind, I am my own worst critic, okay? So that's how <laughs> I felt. But when I would take these pieces to pop up shops or people, they honestly, the things that I thought were the most trash typically were the first ones to get off my table because someone else saw something that I didn't see in it, and okay. that's what got me curious. Like, whenever I go. Would- pop-up, or whenever I do it custom, or whenever I sell something to somebody, one of my first questions is,
1: that piece? and they always have something. To... It was never just, oh, I was trying to do this. Oh, there was no
2: simple answer. Most of the when people have look at pieces like that, They would tell me a story. And it'd be either a story about their family or their friends or something that they just notice and see and all that other stuff. Um, I think one of my favorite ones is when I had like made these like little tiny mini skulls like this. And me, since I like the dynamics of like the dripping effects and all the the trippiness of it, that one didn't meet my standards and Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. And so when someone picked it up and like, I want this, I asked them, why that one? And they told me the story on how when they looked into it, it looked like a pirate ship underwater. And it t- it reminded them of a story of their grandmother, how they used to be by the water and they like swimming and all that other stuff. So it brought them a very happy memory. And so that's where the idea of see you soon kind of came into play where like, even if I may have a certain standard or an expectation for a piece, I started thinking of it in a way where the pieces that I create are not necessarily meant for me. It was more like I was channeling a certain frequency or a certain energy into these pieces. And these pieces would attract different people. When, where, what time, whichever, wasn't, wasn't up to me. But I knew that eventually someone would come through my shop or visit my pop-up or look at my store and be like, I want that one for whatever reason it is. And so that's where the idea of C soon came into play is that I may not know when someone would buy this piece Mm -hmm. but I know eventually that if you stay with me long enough or you follow me long enough or whichever, like you will eventually, come to my shop and find the piece that is meant for you. So I will definitely see you soon.
0: Okay. All right. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with before we go?
2: Don't let anyone ever tell you you can't do something. (laughs) (laughs) That's it.
0: Okay okay um actually i have one final question for you okay did you have fun
2: i had a lot of fun i did okay okay to think that a bunch of people are going to be seeing this that makes my kind of go <laughs> like that but uh, I, mean, I think it's pretty-
0: okay cool cool um where can people find you
2: interwebs I mean, I think the easiest place to find me is not through my gaming career, but through my art. So okay. see you soon on Instagram. I have this trippy okay. little eyeball on it. So if you find me, just type it in. Okay.
0: Say hi. All right. And with that being said, people, that's the episode. We hope you had a good time with this one hopefully it was very informative hope you if you have any questions definitely let us know and uh yeah we can definitely circle back to this because i'd love to have you back on the show again if you'd be interested in coming back on why not and uh, also, awesome, awesome and uh if you guys are looking to find this video format video format is on spotify as well as on youtube youtube.com slash casanova oh, and you can Sorry. You you you're gonna reach probably a, over a million people because this podcast usually it's like a million downloads yeah. per episode. So
2: that's a lot. <laughs> Holy cow! I'm gonna tell my best friend that I'm getting more downloads than she is on Spotify. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you want to listen to this audio format, it's available on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Music. Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and just about everywhere. Uh, Just look up the Casanova Podcast. Number one podcast in Hawaii for the last six years straight. Uh, The show has not been dethroned. So,
2: Yes. Power to it. King of the throne. Yeah.
0: I know. (laughs) (laughs) And with that said, uh, Luna and I are signing out. We'll catch y'all on the next one. Peace. All for your time, for listening to this episode of the Castle Nova podcast and more podcasts in Hawaii. If you found this episode to be incredibly enjoyable, informative, or if there's anything you gained from it or any insight or, you know, anything that's good that you really, really enjoy, make sure whatever platform you're listening to it on, or if you're watching it, leave a comment. If that's available on the platform, like it, share it around with someone you think would enjoy it and give us some feedback because your feedback is exactly Exactly what we need to keep this show going And if you're wondering what are some ways that you could support the show we got various ways Done. We've got patreon. We have channel memberships over on YouTube as well as subscribe star coffee and So much more links for everything will be in the description of the podcast so Make sure you go check that out. And with Done. all that being said, I hope you have an aloha rest of your day.
1: Let them know that I'm next level. I'm a whole new kind of guy Is at the top spot. In case you forgot, we the ones that got the block hot. Pull it, cut the shot. Yeah.